Warriors, welcome to another episode of The Women Your Mother Warns You About, brought to you about Sales Gravy. I'm this Gina is all Tra- your fault. <laughs> it's all your fault. I'm Gina Tremarco, Master Sales Trainer at Sales Gravy with my fractional co-host, <laughs> Jeff Bajoric in the house. We're just cutting up here. It's taken us 20 minutes to get started because what you may not have seen, who knows, this might be added to the video portion of this show on YouTube is us playing like children with filters on Zoom. They don't, I mean, they put them there for a reason. I don't know who shows up as a guinea pig or a panda bear to their Zoom meeting, but there are options, folks. Play around. Oh, wait, hold on. Look, look at the hot mess that I am. Wait. Okay. Oh, there you go. Okay. I thought the nuclear launch codes were behind you and it turns out it's we just we need a slideshow instead. Okay, I'm just what are you trying to put, to us today. I want a slideshow on the background now that this thing plays on. What's it called? YouTube. Yes. Yeah. All right. It's all wonky, but it'll. I can never get the presentation view to work. We really are doing a show here, everybody. I'm not trying to play slide behind me. Uh, I will say that since. You posted your new position as fractional co-host at the Women Your Mother Warned You About. There has been a lot of, I think, excitement over it. Uh, we Yes. I, well, how do you define excitement? Look, I'm excited. I have fun every time I talk to you. And I think that, you know, amidst the fun, we come across at least a handful of some really salient, really pointed points of view that make people think. And I think it makes them better salespeople. I think it makes it makes them better business people. I think it gives them a little bit of runway to do just a little bit, just be a little bit more successful. Mm-hmm. These are the things that you have to think about. And I'm excited for the opportunity to do that with you because you bring the best out of me. It's fun. Aww. I'm curious what you mean about excitement on LinkedIn. And there's something else I'm going to say about excitement after I answer your question. Okay. Okay. You and I, you posted, I posted that you're on the show. I post Mm -hmm. when we have episodes and we get a lot of traction on LinkedIn. People saying, oh my gosh, like people, you know, we know a lot of same people in the sales space, Mm -hmm. sales training, sales coaching, and a lot of our colleagues. And also there've been several like mutual podcast show followers, people who Mm -hmm. listen to your show, listen to my, they listen to both of us. And they saw the pairing of doing these shows together. And there was like, oh, my gosh, the two of you. Oh, my God, the two of you together. Oh, mm-hmm. and there, and even our colleagues, there was a lot of reaction to like, oh, my gosh, this is so great. The two of you. I don't know. They should tell us why. Because. Well, I so I set that question up because we joked in the in my last appearance here about how I was going to put that up and it was going <laughs> to get all this LinkedIn traction <laughs> and this. And the amount of bots or bot-like personas, let's say, who send me a message that say, congrats on your new role. And then I look back yeah. in the history and it's like 19, like, and all it's 19, congrats on your new role. Happy birthday. Congrats on your work mm-hmm. anniversary. It's mm-hmm. this, and it's like, wow, there's no engagement. I've never heard of you. I've never seen you like, comment, share anything of my stuff. Never seen you engage whatsoever. But like clockwork, every February when my work anniversary for my mm. you know consulting company comes around and, you know, then whenever I announce anything or whatnot, it's like, 
Oh, did you actually pay attention to what that was? Because it was a little tongue in cheek. I'm excited, but fractional co-host of a podcast that, I mean, it's like, you know, there was a, a little bit of, there was a little juice there right on purpose because I wanted to see what it, what was going to happen. And you actually set me straight though. I, I said, you see, this is kind of ridiculous. This is going to get like 9,000 views or whatever. And you were like, Jeff, there are, first of all, it doesn't matter. And secondly, there are some people who are really excited about this. So who cares? And if you want to play the social media algorithm game, just make sure your next post is a killer because more people are going to see it now. And I said, touche, and thank you. And we rolled on. And here we are. Part of my cynicism about social media, though, and I think it is a huge distraction. And I think it is taking most salespeople who utilize it, don't utilize it correctly. I count myself among them. And they, it's engineered to take us away from our most important work in most cases, mm -hmm. unless uh, you're one of the 2% of people who uses those platforms, LinkedIn being primary among them, as your primary means of connecting, prospecting, and engaging. Far too few people actually have that as their primary means of selling, and far too many people confuse their roles for that. And mm -hmm. that's why I'm, I've got a very measured love-hate relationship with it. You feel better now? I do. I said okay. that out loud. Okay, good. I managed not good. to stumble too many times either. It's pretty cool. Good. Well, Told you, you bring the best out of me. I know. <laughs> Next time I'll bring the couch with me. The irony to this is just before, well, not just before the set of coaching call and just before that, I was teaching fanatical prospecting, the LinkedIn portion of the mm. course. And one of the participants said, LinkedIn is just noise to me. It's just noise when people are reaching out to me because it's kind of coaching them into like, you know, what would get you to respond to a LinkedIn connection or to a LinkedIn message and what would get you to not respond? And there is a lot of noise out there. I'm just as cynical as you. And I did this. I pulled this up in the class. The approach of how they're using it makes me cringe. And there are days when I'm like, is it me? Am I the old lady saying, get off my grass? Or is this truly cringeworthy as it feels? Because I don't know where people are learning these tactics. I don't know where they're learning these tactics. It's really annoying. I got to read you the newest one that came in today. I have to now that we're talking about it. Sure. The message is, should we connect? You want to get in front of your ideal audience. You want to attend informative events. You want to create an appealing life, career, or business. You want to collaborate to build. You want to increase your reach. You want to more publicity. If yes, then let's connect. Yeah, and there's a typo in there, right? It's like this series of like, do you want this? If yes, let's connect. And I responded, no. Because that's not a fit for you or because you think it's a bad tactic? Because I think it's a horrible tactic. What's wrong with it? Let's break it down. Because I think you don't know me. You haven't warmed up this relationship. You make assumptions about me because I said yes to your LinkedIn connection. And if you read the kind of the headline of what's under this person's like who they are, right? Mm -hmm. Getting you in capital Y-O-U in front of your capital Y-O-U-R 
ideal audience with brand appeal, with brand appeal podcasts and appealing summits, digital books, brand storyteller, speaker, writer, publisher, connect with me. It's just a lot of noise. Yeah. You've provided no value to me other than basically go, here are all the, this is what you're saying. You're pitching me. I'll get you in front of an ideal audience, get you informative events. I'll create, I'll help you create an appealing life. I'll help you uh, collaborate, increase your reach, more publicity. Let's connect. It's purely a sales pitch. Okay. Now, oh, we're going to dig into this because I don't have any problems with a good sales pitch over LinkedIn. I was talking about this with someone else earlier. I think a lot of people are confusing the importance of the timing of your pitch with the value of your pitch. Let me Mm -hmm. see what I mean. Let me me break Mm -hmm. that down a little bit simpler. This whole connect and pitch. Don't connect and pitch. The pitch slap, the blah, 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 blah. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. And so what that means is people are saying, oh, okay, I'll just wait 48 hours. It's still going to be valueless. It's still going to be generic. It's still not going to show any modicum of familiarity whatsoever. I've done zero homework. I just waited to pitch you. That doesn't make the pitch any better. However, if someone in their connection request said, Gina, I heard your last podcast and it mentioned how you were really looking forward to expanding your audience this year or this season or whatever. I help people like you do exactly that. Is it worth a connection and maybe a discussion later? I have no issue. I love with that. that. I love that. But I've, when you, I've, but, but let, let me just finish though. But that's a sales pitch in a connection request. And so when people say, I hate being pitched on LinkedIn, it's like, well, it's a channel. But as a salesperson, as a salesman, I'm thinking, I gotta go where my people are. I should be direct with people about why I want to connect with them because I believe I can provide value in a connected relationship. If that sounds like a pitch, then I'm really sorry because I don't know how else to explain to you that I believe I can help. And if I go about it in a very coy, very clever way of, I'm not trying to sell you anything, but eventually I want to try to sell you something. Like, well, that's just, there's no integrity in that. And so I feel like people on LinkedIn are tied in, are so tied in knots because everywhere they go, someone is shaming them for what they're doing. And if you listen to enough voices, if you listen to five voices, there is no way to do it, right? There's no way to appease all five of Mm -hmm. those types of, Mm -hmm. you know, experts. And that's why it's so frustrating to people. And I still think it comes back to what are you trying to accomplish? Do you believe you can accomplish that through a connection request or through a message or an in-mail or whatever? And if you can, go ahead and do it. But do it professionally. There's a, there are certainly some boxes you need to check. And I think what this person did was they basically threw all of their value propositions into one statement and said, choose from this menu of ways I might be able to help you. And that, therefore, I can copy and paste this message ad nauseum, ad infinitum. And that, yeah, I think you know, that's that, part of yeah. it. It is a non-personal spray and pray attempt to get business. Yeah. And as a buyer, I resent that because when you did yours 
putting it in the connection request, you know what got me, right? What got me in your request? Do you even remember? Well, what I you listened said? to the podcast and I heard you say this. Right. Connect it back to me in some way yep. that you've personalized this, that you have a clue of what I do. There are other requests I get where they're literally pitching me what I do. Right. And I'm like, I do that too. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Take care. I love the ones. I was recently in a sequence by a recruiting firm so that I, so they could help me scaling my business and reduce the cost of hiring employees. Like, you know, it's just me, right? <laughs> and that's probably all it's ever going to be. Like, I've got some fractional help, right? Mm -hmm. But I, I've, uh, but it's like, th this is me. This is what I do. It's my name on the website, right. on the door, right? And it's like, okay. And finally, I just, I let the guy off the hook. I didn't really let him off the hook. I guess I didn't have to respond whatsoever. Could have just blocked him, but that just didn't seem right. I'm like, dude, can you take me off the list? I'm not who you think I am. Oh, sorry. Thanks. Gone. Here's what's worse. I had one guy today, actually this happened a couple of times over the last couple of days, was in this sequence. Someone was reaching out to me, wanted to know if I needed help, video production help, creating a course. And we were, and he was offering a revenue split. And when I got the first email, I was like, okay, I'll click the Vidyard link. Did. And then after that, all the emails coming to me were addressed to David. And I'm like, but I'm, I mean, that's my dad. Like, I, you know, so I responded finally and I was like, two things. One, not interested. Two, you've been calling me David for the last four days. Hope that didn't screw up the rest of your automation sequence. I felt obligated to let the guy know. Can you imagine if his whole database just shifted by a line? Right. And now every Everybody. email he's sending in the middle of the sequence just switched. Well, he just destroyed his reputation with oh, that entire list. Gone. Yeah, gone. And that's the problem I have with automation. Even some of the ones that I get where it's like, da -da 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 -da. don't you think we should get together? And I'll respond, no. And then like four weeks later, I get another message, not the same message, but another pitch. And I'm like, hi, Joe, did you read my last response? no response right and then i'll get another message i'm like oh i and then I'll, i'm like oh i get it you don't read these this is automation got it mm -hmm. two rules for using robots are you ready one don't let them know it's a robot do everything so well that there's no way they ever know it's a robot which means you got to be all over it or two tell them it's a robot right away so that they understand yeah, and I'll do this in my follow-up cadences, right? Someone downloads something from my website and I'll say, hey, and I did this, I haven't done it recently, but with uh, my first couple of eBooks that I put out, it was, thanks for downloading. I think you're going to like it. Over the next few days, I've got some bonus materials that are going to come to you. And then after that, you can just expect to get an email from me every Sunday morning and occasionally during the week when I have something I want to draw your attention to or point your attention to. And they expect it. And then they get one every other day for, you know, three emails. So four days or five days or whatever that is. And they know it's templated. I told them it was going to be templated. You know what I mean? Here's the stuff I promised you. I'm not yeah, doing these yeah. individually. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
But people get that and then they're accepting of that. But it's I guess I get irritated over you didn't do your homework. You didn't do your research. You just like the guy in the class today. It's like it's just it's noise. I want to get rid of the noise. I already have enough noise. I'm already buried in emails that I can't keep up with and text messages and LinkedIn messages. And this is everybody. So I don't know. I don't know how we got on that tangent. Well, because I started talking about LinkedIn and algorithms and noise. Oh, oh the fra- because of your fractional position, which, by position. the way, Rachel Pitts, who we recorded a show this morning, she's how I started my day. You're how I'm ending my day. And uh, uh, what a day you're having. I know. And uh, it's so funny because she had posted something about your fractional position. And I'm like, you could come up with your own. T-. I'm like, you could be the, a fractional. She's like, no, he's already got that title. So she came up with recovering co-host. There we go. Recovering and recurring co-host. I like it. I like it. That's my team. I want to talk about something really important today. Okay. And it's the word enough. Because that's a tough one. And I think you need to have definitions for it. And you're going to have different definitions in different contexts. But enough is one of those things that in a results-oriented game like selling is, if you don't have a goal line, you're hosed because there can always be more. And I was thinking about this earlier today. It actually came up in a couple of calls today. It's come up, actually, it came up on some calls yesterday too. This is something that is one of those recurring themes that I don't think gets talked about often enough. And I think it's important to start some healthy discourse around it because if you focus on a process, you get results, but when you focus on results, you get frustrated. How do you know when you're doing enough work in your process to eventually yield results so that you can trust it? Like if you know that you've got a 30-day sales cycle and a new job, but you're not going to put, you're not going to post any revenue for 30 days. Those first 30 days are terrifying because mm-hmm. you never know. Yeah. Unless you get the right guidance, unless someone else tells you what enough is, how do you sleep at night? How do you end the day? And then when most people don't get that guidance, the hamster wheel starts right away. And I would change my avatar to hamster, but I don't think there's one of those. That would be a really cool effect for the YouTube crowd to change my Zoom. Oh, for those so, of, yes, yeah, yeah. How do you know, Gina, how do you know when it's enough? When, <laughs> when a client comes to you and says, Coach Gina, I need you to put your coaching hat on. How do I know when I'm doing enough? Where do you start? Oh my God, I didn't expect such a deep question. <laughs> Shit. Hey, you, you just hired me as the fractional co-host of this show. <laughs> Someone to give Battle me a rest for my money. Damn. Are you talking about all aspects? So like from a, a client delivery standpoint or from a prospecting standpoint or all of the things? I'm thinking, okay, let's say, okay, I'll turn back time 15 years and it's me in the field mm-hmm. and I'm selling to orthopedic surgeons and I've got a new business goal to come up with. And at the time, there was recurring revenue coming in because I took over an established territory, whatever, but I've got to grow. I know that it's going to take multiple attempts to get in front of people. How do I know I've done enough so that I can give up? How do I know I've done enough so that I can 
comfortably feel as if I'm doing my mm-hmm. territory any service, right? So, so let's just say I'm a field rep. I'm selling something that I don't have to deliver myself. It gets the order gets placed. It gets shipped. I get sales credit when it ships to my zip code. Okay. Obviously, there's follow up and customer service that needs to happen, but I'm a full cycle, full service yeah. salesperson. I need to go win new business. Mm-hmm. I know the orders aren't coming for some time. How do I know when I've done enough in my sales day? Uh, I guess, you know, the position I'm in right now is very hybrid and which makes it a challenge because I've got high goals and I've got to deliver, not just do the sales part of it. I can speak from the experience of what enough is for me. Mm Mm-hmm. You can go the route of the numbers and the metrics, right? And really getting into knowing your numbers well enough of like, how many meetings do I have to have? How many calls do I have to make? You know, what converts? That's part of it. I think for me, what has worked is observing patterns for myself. Improv has afforded me the opportunity to study patterns of behavior of myself and of others. And I know that there's a a certain level of, this might not be the best answer, but I'm just going to go off what my answer is. I can feel it. I can feel that I've done enough. I can feel, I can predict when I'm going to have a slump. Mm. I just know it by my activity. So I also know that any sales role I've been in, I'm like, I tell myself, give yourself a year to ramp up. And then it's going to get to the rhythm I want to be in, generating what I want to generate. And I'm new to the organization. This is going to take me a year. That's the story I tell myself. I know when I started Sales Gravy, Jeb's like, I want you ramped up in three months. And I'm like, okay, I'm happy to have that push. But I knew I wouldn't be in the right cycle for a year Mm -hmm. because of all the things I had to do and learn. And then once I did... Then I had an understanding of how everything worked and what I needed to do so that I could keep upping the ante. So going into this year, I really looked at my numbers harder than I ever did. Now, I've been with the company for two and a half years, but now I had a history I could look at and go, okay, this is what I did the first year. This is what I did the second year. This is how many hours I was actually delivering service as a trainer. And I even had said to someone else in our organization, I'm like, I don't want to do more than X amount of training and coaching hours per week because I now know how many hours I need to get to this place. Right. Not scientific, but there was enough of a pattern to show me, oh, when I do this many hours of training, I produce this much money in sales. So it was a really good kind of benchmark for me. And even I got a message from Jeb this morning. He's like, do you realize that you're on target? If you stay at the level you're at right now, you're on target to do this number and you get a couple of big deals, you're going to really blow it out with this number. And like the irony is that the number he stated is the number I predicted that I told them I would do. I'm like, Mm -hmm. this is the number I'm going to do. I'm like, it's a stretch. But if I have the same rhythm that I did last year, I could hit it. And it was funny that he came back and said the exact number. Now, mm-hmm. he knows what my goals are because I kind of set them. Sure. And I don't know if that's, you know, that's my answer of I can just kind of feel it. But I'm also looking at the numbers 
So for me, it's a combination of understanding my capabilities, understanding I get to a burnout level that I have to pull back on because I won't produce and I have Mm -hmm. to balance all of that. I know when I'm not doing enough because I can see it in my pipeline. But you have insight because you've been there two and a half years. You have insight into what KPIs actually mean and what OKRs look like. Yeah. I think that there are too many companies out there that don't provide that insight. And it leaves a lot of salespeople floundering. It leaves a lot of salespeople thinking, I'm out there every day. I'm shaking hands with customers. I'm making calls. I'm dropping off business cards stapled to brochures with little post-it notes and a cup of coffee occasionally, you know, that go along with them. I'm out there. I'm doing what I think I know I need to do. No one's telling me otherwise. When's it going to start raining? I don't know. But until it rains, all I know is I got to keep that proverbial nose to the grindstone. Mm -hmm. And if you are just grinding your nose down and you don't know that it's going to be tied to results, it's really hard to stay motivated and it's really easy to burn out. Well, I'm going to ask a really stupid question. How do you not know if you're having results? If you are in that first six weeks Mm -hmm. of that sales cycle and you're just out doing the thing and you're not connecting, what it comes down to is a lack of onboarding, which is true. Right. I agree. You know that what you're doing is going to lead to that. So that's how you know you're not getting results. Um, I know some people who it's like, okay, well, I got to do this. They're doing it wrong, but they don't know they're doing it wrong. And so they're working really hard. And because they're, okay, maybe they're on LinkedIn. We were talking about this earlier. They're on LinkedIn, but they're just doing LinkedIn. They followed somebody else's BS playbook and it's just not working, but that's the one they're going with right now. And the first mistake they made was just blindly following someone's playbook without even understanding why it might work for them or why not, or why it might not. But they're out there, they're doing it. This is where I was, Gina. This is where I was the first three years of my career took over a sales territory that my boss essentially had prior to me before he took over larger geography and owned the business. And I didn't get a whole lot of guidance because he wasn't the guy to give me guidance. And which so is o- was, which is often the case. It happens all the time. And he told me as much. I'm not blaming him. He told me as much when I got started. And he, you know, so I'm looking for something, looking for anything. And in the meantime, I'm like, well, I just got to get out there. Three and a half years, had no idea where my number was coming from. No idea. My The business was flat for those three years. Grew it a little bit, but it was roughly flat because I didn't understand how to sell. I didn't understand what I needed to be doing, but I just made sure that I was out there 60, 65 hours a week. So when you're grinding 60, 65 hours a week, thinking you're doing everything right, people like me. People welcomed me into the office. I got welcomed in the side door. Yeah, walk right past the gatekeeper. Hugs and pats on the back, never made a dent on my number because I didn't realize what was important. You know what is important and you have those OKRs to judge yeah. yourself by. But also that comes from, uh, this, no offense to sales gravy, this wasn't like, this was my initiative though. I knew what I needed to know because... I would figure it out or I would ask, I would ask, I would go to Jeb and say, you know, 
I want this. Or I would ask Keith, how do I get there? I go to Brad. I'm like, how'd you do that? Like I took initiative to do that. The reality is we're very fast moving. So get out of the way. Like we're all fast running trains and it's not like the irony is as trainers, we're trainers, but we're, we also came into the organization as salespeople. So we have some of that too. But my point is that I stay in business because of the situation you described. People who don't have the help, right? You do too. Right. And so we get paid to be sales coaches and trainers because of that problem. But I'm also going to say, what are you doing as the salesperson to raise your hand and make noise and go, what do I don't know if I'm not moving the needle. Can somebody tell me why? I'm glad you asked that because I raised mine and I raised it to my boss and I raised okay. it to my colleagues and I raised it to other colleagues and I'd get on the phone and, and everybody kept saying, keep doing what you're doing, bud. Sounds like you're doing everything you need to. And then you said, but I'm not seeing results, I'm yeah. assuming. And the, re yeah. and the response was? I don't know. Sounds like you're on the right track. You know, just keep grinding, man. In my opinion on that, they didn't care. Probably not. I knew some of them died. Some of them I'm still friends with today. And some of them would look at me and say, huh. And then, hey, here's what was really interesting. When I, and this is, this goes to not just the fact that you and I stay employed because we do these things, but this I think goes to show why people like us are necessary. It wasn't until I had someone join the organization as a mentor to actually tweak those things, spend the time with me. And then all of a sudden those people were like, some of those people who weren't able to help me in the past were like, oh, wow, you really know how to sell. Like I'm they would start calling me into their, their, you know, some of these meetings to help sell some of these products that where I was a specialist. And it was amazing how much a little bit of context and some knowledge about what the sales process actually requires instead of just going out and shaking hands and kissing babies and things like that. I think that there are tens of thousands of salespeople right now who go under the advice or the guidance of, well, selling's a relationship business. Just go out there, build some relationships and people will buy stuff from you. And they don't think about what that relationship is founded on. They don't think about what it's built on. They don't think about the value that they provide to create that relationship. And so they think it's about being nice and thinking it's about being likable. And as soon as I recognized that I needed to be nice and needed to be likable, but I also had to have an agenda, that's when I started making some headway. Well, I was just um, going to ask you, when did it turn around? When I recognized that I was judging myself by the wrong metric was judging myself by how much time, by how long my days were, how full those days were. Because look, if you work from sunup to sundown every day, no one can tell you didn't do everything you could. Then it's frustrating when you're still not getting results because you're like, wait, I'm smart. I'm capable. What's going on here? And then no one can tell you. And I was getting ready to leave the business, Gina. Didn't make any well, sense. That, that's why so many do. Right. So once I understood and had a grasp of what it took to move the needle in sales, I set different goals for myself. And, you know, I've written about this before, but I it created or adopted and then modified a scoring system for myself based on the things that were most important, right? And I go back to the four steps of the sales process. You identify who you can help, you get their attention, you communicate your value, you ask for next steps. 
So anytime I reached out to someone for the first time, I gave myself a point. Anytime yeah. I booked a meeting with those people, with anybody really, I gave myself two points. Anytime I had that meeting, I gave myself three points. And anytime that meeting led to next steps, it was worth four points instead of three. My goal was to score 25 points in a week. Yeah. All of a sudden, it became results-oriented instead of activity-oriented. I like that gamification. I, and as soon as I got off the activity-oriented train, uh, my results tripled in a new job because it was time for a fresh start. Got a new job, took a mature, flat territory, tripled it in 15 months on 25 hours a week instead of 65 hours a week. That's, you know, so when you cut your effort down by a third and you triple the results, that's a nine times variation. Yeah. yeah. And I had a better idea of what was enough. And so I had more balance too. My wife, two weeks into the gig, she's like, welcome back. <laughs> like, what do you mean? I've been here the whole time. She's like, maybe physically, but not emotionally, not mentally. Welcome yeah. back. It's good to have you here. Yeah. And I just... I was talking about this with a leader earlier today, someone I'm going to start coaching. And she's stepping into the role and she's like, we have these activity metrics. And I just don't know what to do with them. And I argue with my team about there, are they too much? Are they not enough? I said, well, the activity metrics are one thing. If you want to measure your prospecting calls, it's easy to measure. But what's more important, how many calls they make or how many meetings they book? She said, well, obviously the meetings. I said, okay. So if the meetings are there, doesn't matter how many calls they make, right? She said, no. I said, okay. So what you have to determine, what you have to determine and agree upon with your team is in the absence of meetings, how do we define what enough calls are so that we can be done with work at some point? Because yeah. there's always one more call to make, right? Thank mm -hmm. you, Sales Gravy, sponsorship of the Women Your Mother Warned You About <laughs> podcast. And I think you should make one more call. I made a lot of money making one more call, right? But if we're being real, there's always one more call to make. So when do we know that it's enough? When do we know that it's only one more call? Maybe that's the right way to say it, right? With respect to the sponsor. So like, that's what I think needs to be determined. If you tell me to make 50 calls in a day, I'm going to make 50 calls. And the last 25 of them are going to be garbage because I don't want to make 50 calls. You know it. I know it. I'm just not going to put my best foot forward. I'm going to look yeah. for anything else to do. But if I know that it doesn't matter how many calls I need to make, I just need to book 10 meetings this week. Well, look, if I have them all booked by Monday, technically I can take the rest of the week off, but I'm riding a hot streak. You never mess with a winning streak. So I want to keep going. But if it's just one of those weeks where, I don't know, it's spring break where you're calling and no one's in the office because that does happen. It does. Are you supposed to beat your head against the wall? Or can you say, you know what? I'm going to make a good effort. It's defined as this much activity. I think the activity metrics only matter in the absence of the OKRs. The KPIs yeah. only matter in the absence of the OKRs. I just don't see enough organizations breaking it down like that. That's why I wanted to talk about it. Because it is wearing your salespeople out. If you don't have clear boundaries, your salespeople are going to be worn out. And you can't just say, well, deliver a number. Come on. I know that's what pays the bills and I know revenue is important. I'm not trying to, to under, I'm not trying to remove that from the equation and the pipe cures all, but in a long sales cycle where you could lose 
a career making deal at the 11th hour when yeah. you've done everything right and still lose because that happens half the time. It's really trite to just say, well, if you had three of them, you wouldn't have this problem. <laughs> like, come on now. Right? There, there are situations where yep. it's just important to have boundaries. And that's, I don't know, that's what I wanted to talk about today. And we're out of time. So maybe next time. Well, it was a good start. It was, you know, we were too busy playing with filters. We can continue it on the I next mean, I, I've got, and I've got time right now. I don't know if your listeners have the tolerance to hear me talk more about it. But. Well, and I got to skedaddle on a few. Um, but I do want to pick up on it on the next one and do a continuation of it. Or who knows where we'll go. You know me. I'll, I'll end with this because this is sort of timely to this of why I have to go. So at the timing of this recording, it is going on five o'clock Eastern. And I do, when you talk about what's enough, once a year, I get involved with being in a theatrical production and right. I'm in one right now. So we're in rehearsal phase and I end my day at five o'clock because I have to, because I have to eat dinner, get in the car and leave and be gone by 530 every night, except Friday. And then I rehearse all weekend. And what that does to me, like it drives my husband a little crazy. Actually, he's like, are you sure this is what like, this is good, right? Like, I'm like, it's my yearly experiment of recalibrating my time. I have to punch out at five o'clock, period, end of story. I come home from rehearsal. I'm exhausted. So no work is happening. I'm going to bed and I'm going to get up tomorrow and I'm going to do the best I can to get that work in the time that I'm scheduled to work. Not even scheduled, but this is the time I have to work. And so what that forces me to do is think about, to your point, I'm like, I can make 20 cold calls right now, or I could go through my list of past customers. I did this morning, which is a funny story because you'll hear it on another podcast. I'm like, I called an old client, actually texted him from years and years ago before I was with Sales Gravy because I happened to see something on, get back to LinkedIn, see him post something on LinkedIn. And he changed, he changed, yeah. I saw that he changed companies and he had a very successful, he was a franchisor. He had started a franchise com company and clearly must have sold it. And somehow I missed it because he created another one mm -hmm. in 2021. I'm like, somehow I missed that. But something he posted and he was on my previous podcast. I can't, oh, it's interesting. I was like, how did I meet him? He was on my previous podcast, The Pivotal Leader, many years ago. And it all goes back to LinkedIn. He saw something on LinkedIn, another trigger event. I posted about Marcus Limonis, who is somebody I have a business mm -hmm. crush on. And but I met Marcus and got a picture with him. And so I wrote a story about like meeting Marcus Limonis. And it was on LinkedIn. This guy sees it reaches out to me, connects with me, sends me a message like, how did you meet Marcus Limonis? Oh my God, that's so cool. And started a conversation. And then, by the way, did you do sales training? Could you come to our conference? He's like, if I can't have Marcus Limonis, you'll be the next best thing. And that's how the relationship started. So now I see he's got this new, I was like, how did I not know this? So instead of me making 20 cold calls, I'm like, what calls can I make in this next 20 minutes that I have available that are going to be quality calls that I know could turn into appointments and get me somewhere faster 
that's where I'm at because I don't have any other time, but I need a, I need to do something. So yeah. I texted him and here's the funniest thing. So I accidentally texted him. I know listeners have heard this before, but you haven't. Or they're going to hear it wherever the order of these podcasts fall. I accidentally texted him 15 pictures from my phone with the message that I sent him. And I couldn't retrieve the pictures and unsend it fast enough. But I unsent the actual message. So all he got were the pictures. Excellent. Including following messages like, oh my gosh, I don't know why I sent you pictures. I guess I, I hope I got your attention. And he's like, I didn't get the original text at all. What's this about? And I was like, oh, <laughs> my God. Wait, it gets better. The 15 pictures were 15 pictures of dresses. Nice. Dresses that are ideas for the show director to choose what he wants me to wear in the show, in my character. And so it's just these random dresses and not like even the coolest dresses because it's a character. So what is that? So literally the messaging back and forth was like, oh my gosh, so sorry. That was not supposed to go to you. I see you started a new company. It's a heck of an icebreaker there, Gina. But he was like, ha ha ha. Let's get together. Here's Here are my two different email addresses to get me at. Like, because I still have his cell phone number. So the point is, there's a couple points here. I'm now calling it fun fail. What's your fun fail of the week? And let's have fun with that. Uh, because it actually turned into re-engaging someone. And how do we get really good with our time so that we're not working 16 hours a week? Because I start to fall into that creeper yeah. of all of a sudden, I like I'll do I'll get into this rhythm right now because of the show. I'll stay in this rhythm for several months and then I get the time creep again. And next thing you know, I'm working a 12 hour day because I'm doing all kinds of things that are not necessarily pushing me forward, but I think I'm working really hard. Yeah, I know that feeling. I think every salesperson knows that feeling. Mm -hmm. And I think there are a lot of people who have their time management figured out that still work harder than they need to because- Correct. And some of it is because they're just wired that way and they're driven. And a lot of it though is trauma from getting started <laughs> that you just can't shake. You get started and you just don't know when to stop because you don't know what enough looks like. Yes. And yeah. it's worth, I think, continuing the discussion, Gina. So thanks for indulging me. Thanks in for bringing it up. Expected topic. <laughs> I think I think it's a great topic and it's timely because that's why I'm doing this craziness where I'm like, why did I sign up for this again? And yeah. I'm like, just trust the process. This process works for you. It is a recalibration to get me realigned to be more effective, right? Because I'm going to, because I'm picking what's what is most important with my day-to-day -day that has to happen. Like I've got a 30-minute window to generate some business. What is going to be the best way to do that? Yeah. And well, I'm and not, you, yeah. And if you've got uh, 30 minutes, you try to say, okay, maybe I can squeeze in 10 calls and you might get eight. I've got 30 minutes. What's the fastest, most efficient route to new business for me? And you start thinking, that's what people need to do. In the activity-based, metric-based, let's just distill selling to math, you know, kind of uh, leaders, managers. I wouldn't even call them leaders because they don't lead. They're the managers out there. They're You're setting your sales team not just up for bad habits, but for failure, for burnout, 
it, 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 nothing good happens from it. And at mm-hmm. best, mediocre results. At best. Yeah. What are you even doing? Like, come on. So yeah. more right. next time. Okay. That's how we got for you, for our listeners. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Women Your Mother Warns You About, brought to you, about, brought to you by Sales Gravy. Uh, hey, you want to up level and get some skills that'll help you work less, maybe? Uh, salesgravy.university for over 200 courses available, both on demand and live. Go check those out. Thank you, Jeff Bajoric, for being back here as my fractional co-host. More of Jeff in the coming weeks as usual. And somebody remind us where we left off and also check out what filters we'll be doing. (laughs) See you next time, Jeff. Bye, listeners.